What's up everybody, GenX Dividend Investor here. In this video I'm going to explain why my dividend portfolio is green, even though the overall stock market is red. Then I'm going to end this with a rant as well as tell you what the secret to happiness is, so I recommend you watch this entire video. And if you appreciate videos like this and you aren't an evil person, then please hit the thumbs up button, subscribe if you haven't yet, and click that bell notification. So when I say the market is red, what do I mean? Well, here's a screenshot I took from my Fidelity account this weekend that shows the performance of the S&P 500 as well as other indexes. I blacked out the top part that has my portfolio returns so that we can first focus on how the market has done. I'm creating this video in mid-April, but we can see that the data on screen is from the end of March, because Fidelity seems to update their performance data at the end of each month rather than every time you look at it. So on the top row we have various time frames such as one month returns, year to date returns, etc. Near the bottom we see that Fidelity says that the S&P 500 is down 4.6% year to date. When I look on Google at the S&P 500 and select December 31st of 2021 until April 1st of 2022, it shows me that the S&P 500 is down 4.6% year to date, which basically matches Fidelity's year to date data, which again means it's not including April's data, which has been read. If I include April, then the S&P 500 is down 7.58% year-to-date. Okay, we also see that the Russell 2000 Index, which are small-cap stocks, is down 7.53% year-to-date in the timeframes Fidelity is using. And we see that US total stock market index is down 5.4%. So year-to-date the markets are red, and small-caps seem to be down the most, which is often what you could guess would happen when we go down which is that the higher volatility and less proven smaller market cap stuff tends to go down more, and then when markets are good, they tend to go up more. We also see that Fidelity says that the S&P 500 is up 15% over the last 12 months over the timeframes they are using. I double-checked on Google and found that from the last day of March of last year until April 1st of this year that the S&P 500 was up 14.37%, so Fidelity is probably using a similar range. Anyways, if you include the red days of April, then we see the SP500 is only up around 5% over the last 12 months. Another interesting data point is that Fidelity says that the aggregate bond index is down 4.15% over the last year. That probably is surprising to some people who might think that bonds only go up. Okay, now let's look at my dividend portfolio returns. I've blacked out some sections where it has some account info I don't want to share. If you're new to my channel, then you can watch my other videos where I go over all my stocks in my dividend portfolios, like a recent one I did called my multi-million dollar dividend portfolio, $90,000 plus of dividends a year. Okay, so I have three main dividend accounts in Fidelity, which are my wife's rollover IRA, a taxable account, and my retirement IRA. My wife's rollover account is only about 5% of the portfolios, and I'm the one who manages it. So the total row here shows my overall gains across my portfolios. We see that year-to-date I'm a bit green and am up 1.16% overall as of 3.31.22, and my one-year overall gains are at 17.33%, both of which beats the market. But I'm actually doing even better than what Fidelity lists because my portfolio has held up better than the S&P 500 in April. One of the tools that my portfolio tracker has in it is it saves your portfolio performance history relative to the S&P 500 each night so that you can compare it. So, as of the day I'm doing this portion of my video, the S&P 500 is down about 2.2% for April, but my portfolio is actually up around 0.5% for April, which means I've outperformed the S&P 500 by about an additional 2.7% from what Fidelity is showing, as my year-to-date results. Oh, and the reason the 3-year, 5-year, and 10-year timeframes are blank, 
is because I transferred to Fidelity from E-Trade a little over a year ago. Now, of course, 12 months is a relatively short time frame to look at your returns, but there you go. Anyways, my dividend tracker also tells me that my portfolio's average weighted beta is a bit under 0.8. Beta is a measure of a stock's volatility in relation to the overall stock market. By definition, the market has a beta of 1, and individual stocks are ranked according to how much they deviate from the market. A stock that moves more than the market over time has a beta above 1.0. A stock that moves less than the market over time has a beta less than 1. High beta stocks are supposed to have more systemic risks, but should enable higher returns. Low beta stocks should have less risk, but also lower returns. I use the term risk here because I was quoting Investopedia, but I kind of like to use volatility more, and regardless, low beta doesn't necessarily mean no risk. I mean, utilities are low beta, but if you remember, PG&E fell from 70 bucks a share down to where it is today at $12 a share. Remember, it filed for bankruptcy in response to its liability for the catastrophic wildfires a few years ago in California. Anyways, me having an overall beta less than 1 means that my portfolio should hold up better in declining markets, i.e. I should lose less, and as the data shows, that's what's been happening. Thus, my lower beta is a reason that contributes to why my dividend portfolio is green, even though the market is red. Of course, one downside of a lower volatility portfolio is that I'll also probably go up less in bull markets. And if things completely crash, then I'll still take it in the gut. But at least I should continue getting passive dividend cash flow, regardless of where the market goes. Okay, now let's look at another reason why my portfolio is green even though the market is red. Here's a fidelity chart that shows how various stock sectors have been performing over various time frames. This is sorted based on highest performing to lowest performing sectors year to date, and includes the SP500 as well. So we see that the energy sector has an astronomical year to date performance of plus 43%. It also has a monstrous one-year performance at plus 68%. But when you go out 10 years, energy has one of the lowest returns relative to other sectors. Now, the astute viewer might notice that this chart says that the SP500 is down 7.84% year-to-date and is up 6.06% over the last year. The reason is because the start and end dates of this chart versus the other chart are slightly different. Regardless, you can still get a good sense of how things are doing at a macro level. So the next sector after energy, which has had the best performance year-to-date, as well as one of the higher one-year returns, is the utility sector. That intuitively makes sense, because when the pandemic hit and panic started setting in, many investors flocked to safer defensive assets like utilities and consumer staples, because those are the assets you need in any environment. That's also why consumer staples is third on this list. Now let's look at my dividend portfolio sector allocations. Here is a pie chart of the stocks in my dividend portfolio by sector, which is one of the views in my dividend tracker product. What you see is energy is 9.8% of my portfolio. But how much is energy part of the overall index? Well, here's a breakdown of sectors in the overall market, aka VTI. Here we see that only 3.55% of the overall market is in energy. So that means the best performing sector for the overall market has been in energy, but energy is only 3.5% of the market, whereas for me it's about 10% of my portfolio. Thus having a larger percentage of my portfolio in energy, with it being the best performing sector recently, is another reason why I'm outperforming. Recall that the pandemic hit us in the end of 2019 and in early 2020. Investors saw that lockdowns started happening and travel was getting restricted and many knew that there'd be a high probability of oil demand plummeting and sure enough oil prices dropped. Then in early March, Saudi Arabia initiated an oil price war with Russia, triggered by a breakup in dialogue between OPEC and Russia over proposed oil production cuts in the midst of the pandemic. 
This initially caused oil to drop even more to some of its lowest points in history. And that's around when I did a big buy of oil stocks in my portfolio. Which is another reason why my portfolio is green but the market is red. I bought a solid asset when it was way underpriced in a panic market and sure enough investors came flocking back in. And then if you add in the recent war in Ukraine, and that further helped push oil up even more. But as you saw, oil hasn't been a great long-term performer, so like anything, you need to understand why you're buying something, how long you plan to hold it for, when you want to sell it, etc. I expect we'll see some buybacks and dividend increases in the short term, and maybe medium term, but I'm not as bullish on oil for the super long term. Going back to the sectors, we see that utilities are only 2.48% of the overall market. However, in my portfolio, utilities are 7.3%, so about three times as much. And as we saw, utilities were the second best performing sector over the time frame in question. So again, that helped push my portfolio up more, as well as helped push my portfolio down less. We also see that my dividend portfolio is about 18% technology stocks, and the overall market is 27% tech stocks, and that the last year has been harsh for tech stocks, so again, that has helped me. To be fair though, my overall portfolios, which include my non-dividend stocks, still weigh towards tech, but luckily I'm mostly in dividend stocks. Okay, another example is financials. Financials make up 11.6% of the overall market weighting. But I'm light in financials at only 3%. And then we see that financials is another sector that has been performing weekly over the time frame in question, so again, I was less hurt by that. That being said, I've been thinking I should really push into financials more. Another reason I've done better are my consumer staples holdings. The overall market is 5.6% consumer staples. And we saw that consumer staples are the third best performing sector during the time frames in question. The good news for me is that staples are arguably my biggest holding. I mean, I have consumer staples household products at 8.7% of my portfolio, consumer staples food beverages at 8.4%, and sin stocks at 14.3%. So collectively, I'm over 20% in those boring consumer staples dividend stocks like Procter & Gamble and Altria and such. Having defensive blue chip dividend stocks should be a safer haven for assets as the market stays skittish. The more talk there is of recessions, the more I'm happy that I'm in boring dividend stocks. And those are the key reasons why my dividend portfolio is green, but the markets are red. Okay, now onto my rant. These days I can't get on YouTube without seeing a ton of videos about how terrible things are. So many videos are about financial and economic fear and collapse. Listen to some actual video titles from the biggest financial YouTubers out there. The dollar is going to zero. The market is crashing like the Titanic. It's over, the housing bubble just popped. Why the stock market will keep falling. The upcoming stock market collapse, selling everything. Don't buy the dip, the stock market is broken. Why you'll regret buying stocks in 2022, etc, etc. Sometimes they even predict specific future events with titles like, why stocks will fall in May, or whatever. Looking deeper into YouTube, I find titles like, the collapse has begun, or China's collapse is far worse than you think, or Elon Musk explains why America is entering a horrific financial crisis. And the barrage of fear-inducing titles never ends. In fact, literally as I'm working on this video, I got a notification of a new video titled, The Coming Recession is Getting Out of Control. Really? The future recession is already out of control before we have it? Dang. We have smart people like Dalio telling us how the US might be going downhill as a world power. We hear about how the US debt issues will destroy us as a nation. How we will never have national unity again due to our political system. I could go on, but you get the point. Now, the world isn't unicorns and rainbows, and we shouldn't put our heads in the sand. 
And to be fair, sometimes YouTubers purposely use titles that will get you to click them, but the actual video might not be what the title implies. Like the Why Stocks Will Fall in May video might simply show you data that says statistically stocks tend to go down in May on average, but using an accurate title like Why Stocks Tend to Fall in May isn't as eye-catching as Why Stocks Will Fall in May, so they go with the inaccurate but more clickable title. Why don't we actually look at the data to see what often happens in May? Here are the average returns by month for the S&P 500 going back to 1928. What we see is that May's average return is at 0.09%, but actually December is lower at 0.02% and September is the lowest at a minus 0.33%. So a better title might have been stocks historically tend to fall in September or something like that. Not as clickable though, is it? Here's a chart showing the total number of times the S&P 500 has been positive or negative by month. We can see that in 51 of the 93 years they reviewed, the S&P 500 ended negative for the month of September. But that also means that 42 of the 93 years ended with the S&P 500 being positive in September. So historically, there have been slightly more times in which September has ended negative, but still a lot of times it ended positive. Thus, there is enough variability that you can't predict things enough to really act on it. A common saying on Wall Street is, sell in May and go away based on the historical underperformance of some stocks in the warmer 6-month period from May to October compared to the colder 6 months from November to April. If an investor follows this adage, they would sell their stocks around May and then invest again around November. Where did this sell in May and go away saying even come from? Well, someone figured out that from 1950 to around 2013, the Dow Jones posted lower returns during the May to October period compared to with the November to April period. So I guess I should sell everything in spring then. But since 2013, statistics suggest that the adage might not be accurate anymore. So the reality is that these days everyone has access to computers and massive amounts of data to try to get an edge. So anything obvious gets nullified if everyone knows about it. Thus my advice is to focus on the business. If it's a growing business, then eventually stock price should follow earnings. So should you ignore all those doom and gloom finance videos? Not necessarily. They could have some useful info in them, or heck, they might just be entertaining. But don't let yourself worry needlessly. Don't make sudden buy or sell decisions based on something you watch on YouTube. Of course, sometimes YouTubers are honestly just trying to share what they think might happen in the future, so people aren't caught off guard. I mean, there are indicators that we could realistically go into a recession soon. Lots of things could happen. The pandemic could come blasting back. What's happening in Ukraine could expand and get even worse. So could this be the start of the housing bubble bursting? Of course. I had a neighbor who had been in real estate for decades, and in December of 2020, she was extremely confident that the real estate bubble would utterly burst before August of 2021. She knew I was selling my house, so she was counseling me not to buy a new house until the real estate market crashed. I decided that as long as I could sell it at a good price and buy at a good price, then I'd still go ahead with my plans. Now here we are a year and a half after I bought a new house and its value has gone up 25% and I locked in a 2.625% 30-year fixed mortgage and I love where we are and use some of the profits of my old house sale to do that oil buy I mentioned. My point is that no one, not even experts, know what the future will bring. So while I personally know that the markets should eventually crash, I don't know when. So is it possible that the dollar could be removed as the world's reserve currency, either from nations going away from using the dollar to sell oil or from who knows what reasons? Sure. And yes, inflation is high. College costs too much. Healthcare in the US bankrupts many people. And stock markets crash. 
If you're investing, you gotta realize that. Don't invest money you'll need in the short term, and if a market crash destroys you because you need to sell to survive, then you probably shouldn't be investing in the first place. No one knows if you'll regret buying stocks in 2022. Now, I'm guilty of not watching most of those videos that I mentioned, so they could just be titles which make me think they're about one thing, but they're actually about something different. But the titles alone are problematic in my book. All of this fear causes many people to worry too much. I heard a stat that said 40% of what people worry about will never happen. And then 30% of what people worry about has already happened. And then 12% of what people worry about are needless things that could go bad with their health. And 10% of what people worry about are super trivial petty things. So bottom line, only about 8% of what people worry about are real legitimate issues. That means 92% of the things people worry about are unfounded and are simply adding stress and fear to their lives. Those fears needlessly push them away from going after their dreams, from being their best. It keeps them from doing what they think they should. Fear acts as a seatbelt to restrict action. Sometimes that can be good, but usually it's needless worry. Fear and worry destroys hopes and dreams. That's why I hate all the excessive fear on YouTube. Thinking the market will crash or go down is fine, but I'd like to see more data and facts rather than fear and exaggeration. We all see that the markets have been trending down lately. Will it crash soon? Maybe, but maybe not. Maybe AI will enable a historic bull market like you couldn't even dream about, bringing on a new era of abundance. Maybe AI will trigger the next phase of the Industrial Revolution. Maybe the housing bubble will just gradually deflate rather than burst. Who knows? Besides, even if you think something is bad right now, it might not end up being so bad. That reminds me of a story about the secret to happiness. It's about a Chinese farmer whose horse runs away one day. His neighbor stops by to pay his condolences about the farmer losing his horse, but the farmer tells him, you never know if it's good or bad. The next day the horse returns, and actually brings with him three other horses. The neighbor again stops by, but this time to congratulate the farmer for his good fortune. Again the farmer tells him, you never know if it's good or bad. The next day the farmer's son is riding one of those new horses and falls off and breaks his leg. The neighbor hears about this and rushes over to console the farmer about the bad news. Again the farmer says, you never know if it's good or bad. A week later the emperor of all the lands sends his soldiers to gather up every able-bodied young man to fight in a war. But the farmer's son is spared due to his broken leg. Hopefully you get the point which is that you don't need to worry about what might happen or even what does happen. Some things which seem terrible in the present might end up being something that is actually good when you look back at it in the future. So take a breath, don't worry, and if things are dark for you, just remember that most things you're worrying about will never happen. And even if they do, sometimes the best things come from tough times. Opportunities abound in crises. I heard that the only reason why Elon Musk started a company in the first place was because he couldn't get a job. Think about that. Can you imagine Elon sitting in a cubicle right now doing TPS reports? So I wish more creators on YouTube would push hope and possibility. I don't mean that we should ignore legit risks and issues, but I wish they'd temper their The World Is Ending titles and increase their doses of positivity. Plant dreams, pull weeds, and grow a happy life. Okay, end rant. Now I'd like to shout out Tavon, who recently signed up as a Patreon aristocrat. Aristocrats gain access to my dividend portfolio tracker spreadsheet, which I use in my videos, and they get special access to multiple private channels on my dividend discord, including one where you can watch my videos before I release them publicly on YouTube, as well as you get to vote on which thumbnails I use for my videos, and of course you get more direct access to me. I hope you enjoyed all that. Please hit the thumbs up button, subscribe if you haven't yet, and click that bell notification. Finally, I highly recommend that you join my free dividend discord chat server, which has thousands of dividend investors on it and is growing all the time.
Thanks for watching, stay positive, and I'll talk to you again real soon. I am not a financial advisor, and these videos are for entertainment, inspiration, and educational purposes only. Investing of any kind involves risk. I am only sharing my opinion with no guarantee of gains or losses on investments.